Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rhetoric. Berto Wills, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you, as usual, my friends, my friends. It's hot. It is hot in Houston. It is 104 degrees in Humble, Texas, in Houston, Texas, in Kingwood, Texas. I can't take it anymore. Worse, my air conditioning is broken. Air conditioner is broken. And the repair person came in today. Well, one of them's broken. The other one isn't. So we have one trying to take care of everything. But it's hot. In this house, it's hot. Studios, hot. Let me tell you, folks, this is global warming, global change, climate change. All Name it all, all whatever it's called. But it is rough. It is tough. It is hot. And let me tell you something, guys. I've been up since about 3.55 this morning. Well. I only got about three hours of sleep this morning because after preparing for my KPFT show, I had to drive all the way to the other side of town because we did Politics Done Right Live and You Talk Live, both KPFT programs that I appeared on both of them uh, at the Black Hole Coffee House where we had some issues to start with in the beginning, but then... It got a lot better after we got all our connections and everything worked out. But anyhow, folks, when I left the house at 4.15, it was, eighty, I think, 86 degrees, 85, 86 degrees. And by the time I was on my back, you know, it was crazy. I know, I know, though, uh, if you actually, I have it. Uh, let me tell you, I have a portable in the other place that it's that it's kind of working fine. But I do appreciate uh, the offer. If if I if I was completely stranded, I would say, hey, Lido, come on over here. Drink a cup of coffee with me and bring that damn cool air, Lido. Bring that cool air. Anyway, welcome aboard, Peggy Lopez. Welcome aboard, Bridge MCP. Welcome aboard, Paul Fleming. Welcome aboard, Eric Hayes, Melanie Keelan, Michael Rudnan. Tom C. is in the house. We have a full house today. May Wood is here. Uh, Lee Grant is in the house who always says, hey, y'all. E2247 says, Mitakuye uwasia ete puwapte. All my relatives, good day. Today's visit will be the greatest ever visit as usual. If you see me start to burn out as we go on, it's because I am burnt out. I'm tired. Yvette Avery Herod is in the house as well. Our beautiful Yvette is here. Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain. Uh, who else am I missing? Paul Fleming Sr. ATL checking in. I know you guys aren't as hot as we are. And of course, the one and only AVQ, Michael Rudnan, taking good care of the kittens who Melanie Keeler wants to ensure that those kittens are doing just fine. Peggy Lopez says, hi, all. Another very hot day here. Uh, uh, no, that, that is in California, right, Peggy Lopez? Luckily, I have no need to go out in the heat. Now for the iffy around here, power to stay on. You know, we've been having the same problems in Texas as well. I think uh, the, the guy came to try to repair the air today. And what he said is the circuit board went out. And, you know, we've been having all these brownouts and stuff in, in Kingwood. And I have a feeling that is what occurred. I have a feeling that's what occurred. Egberto, to you, uh, you need to get out of the house, find a place to hold up with AC. Any triple digit temps is dangerous. Hey, Michael, I was at the the, the um, black hole today. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed camaraderizing with a whole lot of KPFT people and regular folks that were just coming into the uh, into the coffee shop. I think sometime uh, we need to, you know, I I need to do this. You know what I we should do? Uh, 
We should go ahead and say we're going to have politics done right at a coffee house. Get a coffee house to kind of, you know, know that we're coming and get all the people within like a 35, 40 mile radius to kind of converge in that coffee house and do a politics done right live. For It worked out very well today. I did get all of it on, on video because, again, we had all kinds of things. And when we got everything stabilized, I didn't want to throw the high speed video out that could have destabilized the Internet. We have to work out a few kinks. But altogether, while in the coffee shop, we were taking calls and doing all that stuff on the You Talk show. We didn't do it on my show because I didn't have the setup right for the connections yet. But we are going to have it better as we get along. Let's see what else we got here. Paul Fleming says, my air conditioner is struggling. I call for it to be serviced. I hear I hear you, buddy. Have the shower in the bathtub. I tell you, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Keelan says, Egberto, the transmission was cut short this morning. Yes, I had to cut it because we kept on coming in and out. The next time we're going to do better, we promise to do better. Eric says to stay hydrated. I will, my brother. Uh, let's see uh, what else we got here. Alistair Waters in the house. The AC in my vehicle isn't working, and my attempts to find out why aren't working current status melting. I hear you. When those things go out, it is tough, it, especially because while you're driving down the freeways in Houston, guys, it may be 104 degrees in Houston. The freeway is 110 to 115. All that concrete and that air is blowing hot. Alistair, my beautiful Alistair, I feel for you. I feel for you. Yvette Avery Herod says, that heat is no joke. Please take care of yourself. Yvette, I should be telling you that because you are out there on the road in the heat, Yvette. In fact, let me ask you, how are you doing? Because I tell you, you guys just won air conditioning in your in the new UPS trucks. But I know there are a lot of trucks that are still on that don't have air conditioning. So give me a, an update as far as how you and your trucks doing. Uh, E2247 says, speaking of hot, see Jeff Goodell. The heat will kill you first. Life and death on Scorched Planet. That's interesting. Uh, I, I'll, I'll check it out, uh, E2247. Paul Fleming says, I have a portable AC unit that's making up the difference. Yeah, my daughter's room, we want to make sure and keep her very comfortable as she's recovering. So she has the, the portable thing in her room. So my, my wife has been sleeping in her bedroom. <laughs> and you know what? She loves it. A 32-year-old with her mother in the bed with her, they, they're enjoying it. They're just enjoying it. Egberto, I meant to say have the show in the tub. Oh, Bridge, are you kind of getting like that with me, Bridge? No, nah, I'm kidding, girlfriend. I'm kidding, girlfriend. I'm kidding, girlfriend. But I, that's a thought. Tom C says, high of 70 degree in mid-Michigan today. Y'all welcome to come up here and cool off. I know, getting that nice, cool breeze off those frigid uh, lake, right? The Great Lakes, I can imagine. Uh, let's see what else we got. Eric says, wear long sleeves as your sweat will keep you, keep, uh, will vent through a window. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think there's there are actually some clothes that have the pores in them for you to sweat and for that to work. I think you're right about that, Eric. Bree says, you uh, usually, Eric, uh, you have to have it vented through a window. <laughs> yes, you do. Michael Rodney says, Egberto, only new UPS trucks have AC. Old trucks still running, open sides, no AC. Yvette says, on vacation this week in Miami at a conference, we all won't see AC in all trucks for 10 years. If the contract goes through as it is, it only covers about a third of the current fleet. Uh, wow. Well, you know, uh, you know, 
you, that just kind of hit me, Yvette. That kind of hit me. I, I wish, I wish. They, but you know what? Here's the deal. Let let's let's be honest now, okay? If that AC thing only covers a third of the fleet, and they ensure that that third of the fleet exists in Texas, Georgia, Florida, uh, and all the states that get very very hot. And then keep the other trucks in the states like like where um, Brother Tom is. It doesn't get too hot there. Then that's not a bad compromise, right? Uh, you know, you're fighting with the corporates, corporations. You know that you have to give them something to get something. Maybe not bad. Did I get that right, or or is the trucks or, or the trucks are not going to be distributed where the where the hottest temperatures are? If not, I wish that were a part of the contract that says we will move all the the non air conditioned trucks to the areas that don't really need the air conditioning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every case says, I mean, the AC hasn't been in trucks and, and would you rather have more money? Uh, again, we shouldn't have to deal with health versus money, Eric. Um, you know, I have a piece that I'm doing here on the false, uh, rugged, the, the fallacy of rugged individualism and meritocracy, but that's not the first piece I'm going to do. The first piece I'm going to do, yes, last night, let me first make up, tell you the story. Um, I knew that I had to get up at about 3.45 this morning because I had to head into town for the show at the coffee shop and we had to set up and test things out, etc. And John, everybody know John Cutter here. He's one of our great supporters here on the show. He sent me a text as the show was going on and he said, uh, Egberto, uh, are you coming to the, you, you know, you said you're coming to the, to the, uh, to the, our meeting tonight, you're still coming. And I forgot to put the damn thing on my calendar. So I didn't like prepare a whole lot of things beforehand, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you tell the guy that you promise you're going to be at that place taping it? How do you tell him, man, I got to get up early in the morning. I can't make it, man. There's no way I was going to do that. So I immediately texted uh, Cutter back, or John Cutter, and I said, hey, man, I'll be there. And last night I packed up and went out there and I taped his program. I taped the, uh, the speaker that he had. And you would not imagine how happy I was to go out there, not only to, to tape the thing, because I met all those friends and people out there, the great Kingwood area Democrats, humble area Democrats, a lot of a lot of Democrats and a couple of Republicans were out there because they were running and they came out there, you know. So it was like, wow, the woman who was the guest speaker, I thought was outstanding. How she connected freeways, roads with a lot of the ills in the country, redlining, all that good stuff. And I loved it so much. I kind of packaged it up just before the show today. And it's 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 fairly long. But we can chat as you watch this as you watch this program. But check it out; it's well worth the watch. Even as we chat in the chat, please listen to all the words that she has to say. She is a young woman, an ingenious woman. She just wrote a book. I'll have the book in the um, in the blog when I write the blog for it. But she was there to speak about it. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. And again, while we're playing this, you can keep chatting in the room, like. Like, I can stop you from doing that, right? Hell no, I couldn't do that. Anyway, check this out. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. I know y'all can do better than that. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. All right, 
So while he gets my presentation up, uh, so additional things about me. My day job is not listed because I like to keep my job. Uh, so you can Google to figure that out on your own. Uh, but I am a proud member of the Democratic Party. Um, I moved here uh, from Washington, D.C., uh, and I was a member of the executive committee for the D.C. State, uh, uh, D.C. Democratic State Committee. So very involved uh, in, in D.C. politics. Um, and then just by nature of living in the District of Columbia, everyone that gets voted on and gets sent to D.C. Uh, at some point, when you live in D.C., you have to deal with them. Um, and so we dealt with them accordingly. Um, and so I will say to 51st State, D.C. Um, but moving on, uh, so I'm here tonight to talk about my book. Um, so this is this came about before I, my job uh, here in Houston, um, and it really is about inclusive transportation. And it's my manifesto for repairing divided communities. Um, even as I came here today, I had to get across a multi-lane highway, um, risking my life uh, just to make left turns to get here. If you wanted to walk, I was at the Starbucks, which as the moon, as the, as the crow flies, is probably not even a quarter of a mile, and you can't walk it safely. Um, as you look at many of our cities across the country, uh, we don't have adequate sidewalks. Um, and Houston uh, may be, and, and, and this region may be an area that drives, but that's also what's killing us. Um, right now, uh, traffic led deaths is the number one killer of children. Um, and so we thought if this was anything else, we would put all of our uh, efforts to stop it, but yet children are dying every day, and we accept it. Um, every, every year we're at about 45,000 uh, U.S. citizens are dying on our roadways. Uh, Texas has gone um, not even, what, two decades at this point without a death on one of uh, our roadways. Um, so I take it very seriously. Um, it's, a, it's a tough road, and, and a lot of it is created um, by you know, my predecessors in the industry. Um, so my book is out, it's on Island Press. Uh, at the end of my talk, so you gotta listen to the whole thing, uh, there is a discount code um, for you all. Um, but next slide. Uh, so a little bit about me. So I'm not from Houston, but as they say, I got here as fast as I could. Uh, I am from New Jersey originally. Okay, okay, Jersey in the house. Uh, so this is my town that I grew up in. It's a little itty bitty suburban town. Um, as Jason Aldean says, try that in a small town. It's a small town. Um, but it was also a really great place to grow up. It was a very child friendly. Uh, I walked to school. We had no bus system, so you had to walk. Um, we had um, walkable areas. This is the little downtown area. I lived. I grew up about three blocks north of here. Um, but even kids as young as kindergarten walked to school, and we could because we weren't fear for our lives of you know big vehicles uh, driving fast, running us over. Um, and it really was a great place to grow up. Um, my mother and my father commuted into New York City by transit. Um, and so, you know, it, it just, it, it formulates who I am as a person and what I know um, suburban areas can be. Next slide. 
Uh, a little bit more about me. So I'm one of the co-founders of Black Women Bike, uh, located in the District of Columbia. And so even though I'm gone, the leadership is still carrying it on. And so what we did, I'm really proud of, we got a lot of black women biking. Uh, when you look at health indicators, I heard a lot of the candidates talk about health healthcare and all those things. Unfortunately, um, black people are, we at the top of everything that's bad, hypertension, diabetes, and all of those things. And so even with black women bike, it was just getting women on bikes for whatever it is, whether it's health, fitness, happiness, um, transportation. And interestingly enough, um, I was in my 30s uh, when I started it. I was one of the youngest members. We actually um, attracted a lot of young retirees who then went on to become um, licensed cycling instructors and got more retirees. And so even right now, as the organization is over 2,000 people still strong in the District of Columbia, many of the women are in their um, late 50s, early 60s, uh, even some in their 70s. And so biking has given them freedom. As they age, uh, it is gentler on the body than walking sometimes. Um, and they're using it as a form of transportation when you're on fixed income. Uh, you know these gas prices, they keep fluctuating, they're going up, they're going down. Uh, but when you're on a fixed income, it gave them uh, another avenue, another option. And it doesn't mean that they had to bike all the time, but it gave them different options and really became advocates uh, for better bike infrastructure so people can feel safe uh, biking around their communities. Next slide. This is me as a child, so I just love this picture. I think I was a cute kid. Uh, thank you. And so I couldn't touch my toes then, but I can now. Uh, I am a certified yoga instructor, and I think sometimes people think about yoga as the movement, but it really is uh, an embodied of life. Um, I also identify as a Christian, um, and I am a believer in loving everyone. And so one of the things and one of the principles that really stuck with me through yoga was, a, it's called ahimsa which means non-harming. Um, and so everything that I do, um, I try to take it from a lens of not harming people. And even as I write about my book, um, and I'll talk a little bit about what I call the silently suffering, um, I try to think about them every time I have to make decisions, uh, sometimes hard decisions, um, but I think it is very important to make sure that we're not continuing to harm people who are constantly harmed over and over again. So next slide. Um, so this is just to give you a teaser from my book, so you had to go buy it. Uh, <laughs> and I just wanted to talk through it. So today I'm going to uh, focus on two chapters, which I think uh, will resonate with this particular group. Um, but the forward is by Tamika L. Butler. Um, she that she goes by she and they, uh, but a very 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 good friend uh, out of uh, the L.A. area. So she wrote my forward and talked about at the time that I wrote my book. I started before the pandemic. Um, but the pandemic exposed a lot of things. Um, I think a lot of uh, a lot of us have changed our lifestyle as a result of the pandemic. Um, as we all sat there for eight minutes and 49 seconds uh, watching a man uh, take his last breath while calling for his mama. We talk about moms against Greg Abbott uh, being a mom and someone calling for his mom. And I know that every mom out there had to feel a certain sense of pain. And so Tamika talks about that and why the time is now to have these conversations about inclusivity around transportation. Um, in my preface, I talked a little bit about what it was like to just be an author and the process of pouring yourself into a book um, that then makes it open for critique, good, bad, and otherwise, um, and not knowing if you're good enough, 
not knowing if you qualify as the expert, and then you you know you you question, um, do I have enough credentials to be the voice of this particular topic? And I did because I wrote the book. Um, it was uh, just the introduction. Um, so it, lay, it lays a lot of framework. Um, so when we talk about how we got to where we are today, and I'll get into that a little bit, it just lays a framework uh, for how our transportation system looks the way it does today. Uh, chapter one is transportation is personal, so I'll give you a little teaser on that one in a second. Um, ch tra uh, chapter two, equity is more than a baseball graphic. Has anyone here seen the baseball graphic where it's equity, uh, equality is everyone gets the, what they gets the same, and equity is everyone, and they're trying to look at a baseball game, and it's like a Kansas City Royals game, and it's like, first of all, who's trying to watch this game? Right? But, you know, I think the challenge is when we say everyone gets what they need, um, and the reality is uh, there isn't enough time, there isn't enough resources to give everyone what they need, and that's where we really need to uplift the communities that need it the most. Um, and also, too, there shouldn't be millionaires, but that's a whole side point. Um, <laughs> For chapter three is should there be a war on cars? Um, I am not anti-car, um, but I will say that we talked. Someone talked about science earlier. When we talked about science. Um, so the science is is the impacts of transportation are felt. It is the number one contributor to our poor air quality. Um, if you, again, I talked about traffic-related deaths and fatalities, um, it is linked to the obesity epidemic and all the other health issues around it. So it's not to say that I'm against cars, um, but you know it is a conversation to be had. And as our vehicles get bigger, unfortunately, um, more people are going to die. Um, there was a graphic that at uh, 20 miles per hour, if you are struck, about 90% of people will survive. At 30 miles an hour, it drops instantly, um, that most people won't survive. But now with these bigger vehicles, we're even seeing, even at 20 miles an hour, that survival rate is starting to go down. And there's a lot of research out there. Um, Dangerous by Design is one, if you really want to just get into the weeds, uh, Dangerous by Design uh, by the Coalition for Complete Streets, um, which is all data, it's all facts, no alternate facts, um, just, just the facts about um, where people are dying um, across the country. And this region is ranked, uh, I think it was 16th, I believe, in the nation for um, pedestrian deaths. Um, number four is power, influence, and the complexity of people. So I'm going to give you a little bit more on that one. Uh, chapter five, bringing it, bringing it all together, is really written for the engineering and planning industry. But I think as um, people who are interested in these things, it might be, that chapter might interest you. Uh, and then six, uh, we'll really get into that, and that's the task ahead. Next slide. Um, so how do we design our system? Uh, I'm not making this up. Feel free to Google. So next slide. Um, so this is a picture. Um, it's what I call, what is this? It's the American dream. Um, and so when you look at suburbanization and what happened, um, you had people who wanted the suburban dream of a house, um, a picket fence, a dog, a cat, and a vehicle. And so that was around the 1950s is when you first hear the term American dream. And at the same time, so we're in the Jim Crow era, you have redlining, which has been now proven. So there is redlining in a really great book, if you are interested, called The Color of Law, that documents uh, redlining in several cities across the United States. So you have redlining, you have protected covenants. Um, and even the thing that's interesting to remember for people, even with protected covenants, 
Um, they also included people who were Irish, Italian, and Jewish. Um, and many of those protective covenants still exist today on deeds and the deed restrictions. Um, and I know that even here in Texas, there has been a big effort to attempt to get those removed, but they still exist across uh, the country. And so next slide. Um, and with that, and the American dream was about a very particular type of person, one would call the wasp. Um, and this is a Google, this is literally a screenshot of my, compu my computer, and when you look at American Dream ads, this is what comes up. What do you notice? Okay, yeah, they're all white, great, next slide. Good job, powers of observation. This is the one slide that doesn't have white people featured, and this is uh, let people who are waiting in line um, for food. So next slide. And so when you think about our uh, transportation system, that's how we got to where we are. Um, so this is a map from 1960 of East Baton Rouge. Anyone here from Louisiana? No, family from Louisiana? Been there. Been to Louisiana. We'll go with that. All right, so East Baton Rouge. Um, and so what this is, is a, it's kind of hard to see, um, but it is a parcel map showing property ownership. And then it's kind of faded, because again, this is from 1960. You see this faded line. And so that's where they were planning Interstate 10 uh, through East Baton Rouge. Next slide. Okay, and who lived in East Baton Rouge? Mostly black and Italian. So the arrow points to a property owned by my family. Um, so my great-grandmother had a house in the front, and then my grandparents had a house in the back. And my mom lived in that house until she graduated high school. So next slide. So this is a picture of my great-grandmother's house uh, that you see from the air. That's my uncle. I know, he's so handsome. <laughs> so that's my uncle. And then next slide. This is what it looks like today. And so everything is gone. The back tree, that's where my, uh, well, that back pillar right here, that was where my grandparents' house was. And so all of that now is I-10. Um, and even for me as a child, um, I went to go visit my great-grandmother, so I was fortunate enough to know her um, and visiting her house at eight years old. And her house was actually under the highway. So my parents, uh, my grandparents sold that house uh, probably when I was around eight or nine, and then she moved in with my grandparents. Um, and so I say that to say, I think sometimes we think about these highways, and it can feel like it was something very, very long ago. But my mother is very much in her right mind, um, and she remembers everything. And then there's family stories of like cows going off the highway. And I haven't been able to verify, but you know how families are. Um, and so there, there's, there's, there's people, even if we think about this region, who remember what it was like before the highway came, and before it was expanded, and before houses were removed, um, and, and all those things. And that's the impact that we have. And I will give a lot of credit to uh, the Biden administration and the members of Congress who voted for the bipartisan infrastructure uh, law, not the ones that didn't. Yeah. <laughs> For the ones that did, uh, because there has been a huge focus on reconnecting communities. There has been a huge focus of at least making some attempts to get restoration, uh, because there's scars in every city uh, that you see across the country where neighborhoods were just completely demolished. Um, I experienced recently um, where there was a road, and in the middle of the road are still bodies from a cemetery that were never removed. Um, and so it is still, we're still reaping 
uh, the residuals of decisions that happened in the 1960s. So next slide. And so I will skip ahead to chapter four. Um, so in chapter four, I talk about power, influence, and the complexity of people. And although I'm writing it from a, from a standpoint of transportation, I think it is relevant to a lot of the conversation that I heard, a lot of the things that the candidates mentioned. So next slide. Um, so this is a picture of really, 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 really awesome people. I had an opportunity to go to Salzburg Global Seminar in Salzburg, uh, Austria. And so in Salzburg, it is called the Meeting of the Minds, where they bring people from all over the country to just discuss a topic. And whatever the topic is, and whatever happens, whatever comes out of it, happens. And so uh, my particular uh, seminar that I went to was talking about uh, the built environment and the impact on public health. And so you had people like me who were engineers, you had planners, you had activists, you had community organizers, you had people from the medical field, both from practicing doctors, as well as people on the public health side, and just bringing us all together. And so my group, one of the things that we talked about was power and privilege and how it plays out. And this ended up being the basis of my four, chapter four. So the next slide, um, so this is just how we defined it. There's a lot of definitions out there. Uh, but we define power um, as the ability to direct laws, policies, and investment that shape people's lives. And that can look a lot of different ways. Um, and depending on where you are, your power might be a lot, your power might be a little. And there's always the power of the collective body of people when we come together to push for these laws and push the people in power to have better laws. Um, and then we talked about privilege, which can look a lot of different things. Next slide. So in privilege, we just call it accumulation of special benefits. And so it can look different for different people, uh, depending on what it, uh, what it is. You know, there is the privilege to be able to walk outside and having sight and be able to see, not having to worry about how you navigate your space. There's the privilege of not worrying if people, uh, if you go to the bathroom and people are gonna harass you because you may not fit what their view of that gender is. Um, and so there's a lot of privilege around that, and so it's each of us recognizing the individual privileges that we have and how that plays out. So next slide. Um, and so then lastly, this came out of uh, the Salzburg Global Seminar. Um, so lastly, we came up with this three-part framework. Um, so number one, we moved away from this idea of safe spaces, right? Because the thing about safe spaces means I get to stay comfortable regardless of who I am, um, and we moved into a thing called brave spaces, and that was allowing people the opportunity to make a mistake. Um, maybe you accidentally misgender someone, but you are doing your best um, to understand and be better. It's the recognition that we're not gonna be right, we're not gonna always get the language right, but having the bravery to continue to show up, to continue to learn, um, and continue to every day push ourselves to be better and strive for a higher level of consciousness. Um, two, we said understanding the role that power and privilege pay in different decisions. Um, and then lastly, was really analyzing and challenging um, all of those privileges. So in the next slide, um, and again, this is a teaser. This was my favorite chapter to write in chapter four, just so you know. Um, and so from a transportation perspective, I really broke the stakeholders down into four different types of people. So there's people in power, there's naysayers, there's champions, and there's the silently suffering. And so briefly, people in power can look like a lot of different things. There's the elected people we empower 
to represent us, and I know that you heard from many of those candidates there. Um, but there's also the people that influence them. There's people who have fluids, and I know that each of us has like the informal mayor of our neighborhood that has a lot of power that no one gave them, but yet they yield their power. And so it's understanding the power that you have and understanding who the people in power, what motivates them. How do you hold them accountable, especially for the people that you've elected to represent you? How are you holding them accountable once they are there and they're representing, hopefully, you? Um, the naysayers, so back in the day, they used to call them NIMBYs, not in my backyard. Um, and the NIMBYism movement actually grew out of kind of that environmental movement where people were trying to put very harmful things in communities. Over time, that has shifted um, to other things. And so when you think about things like zoning, uh, we talk about, I you know housing affordability is very important to a lot of people. Um, but zoning becomes the tool that people say oh no 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 i think there should be affordable housing just put it over there right and so that is a type of naysayer of you are attempting to get to a goal uh, where everyone can have a thriving life and people are like i agree just not here um, and it's playing out uh, i was just scrolling on twitter in um, san francisco somebody was carrying a casket down the street because they were getting ready to move parking spaces for a bike lane. And they were like, no, this is horrible. So it's the naysayers. Um, and then there's a carefulness with the naysayers because there's some that it really doesn't matter what it is. They don't want any change. They are perfectly fine with the status quo. It doesn't matter who is left out, who is harmed. I am perfectly fine with how things are. Um, and then there are people who, I'm not necessarily against it, but I have this concern. Um, and so I do encourage my engineers to understand what is that true concern and to see how you can address it. And then your champions, as you all in the room, were you guys champions? Yeah. Yes. So the champions are the things who passionately want the change, every day wanting the change, in the fight, every day. Um, and so very important allies, and also with champions, um, ability collectively to use your voice to influence who? People in power. Yes. Um, so it's very important. And then even with champions, a very critical thing, and I brought this up uh, at another book talk, is making sure you are a trusted advisor. Um, and so always being able to come with an authenticity um, with everything that you're, you're saying and you're reflecting. Um, so making sure that you are a good champion. Uh, and then lastly is a group I call Silently Suffering. And so when we were doing our um, power and privilege analysis, there's this group that just always tends to get left out of the conversation. Um, and that's because, especially for government, you know, public meetings are held at night, you know, at during people's bedtimes. You know, you have people who work shifts and they're at work. Yep. And so they're never able to participate. And what really um, brought to light all of this is during COVID. Um, and so I know that there was a lot of fear out there. Um, we didn't know what this thing was and everything shut down, including transit. And so you had people and everyone talked about the doctors and the nurses, right? And we said, oh, the essential employees. But no one talked about the cleaning staff, the janitors, um, security, the orderlies, and all of that, uh, the people who support the doctors and nurses. Um, they were left out of the conversation, and oftentimes they were left without a way to get to and from work. Um, and that is what I mean by the silently suffering, 
and making sure that in everything we do, we're keeping them in mind, we're engaging them, and we may have to engage them differently. Um, I shared an example of working on a public transit project where we literally, we, we looked at the data to figure out when people were getting off the bus, never on, off the bus, and we set up a meeting in the bus stop. So you couldn't miss the meeting, it wasn't inconvenient. Um, we set up uh, surveys, when someone's getting off a bus, they're trying to go to work, you got about two minutes. That's it, you got two minutes. So it's getting to the pitch quickly. Um, and then being very focused in the questions that we ask. If someone has two minutes, this isn't the time to say, tell me what you want to see. We don't have time for that. You know, so getting to the point quickly. And so the data and the feedback that we got actually helped move forward, uh, otherwise would have been a hard project to advance. And so just in everything you do, always think about the people who are silently suffering. Next slide. Uh, and this is my favorite chapter. So let me tell you, um, so I didn't write the chapters in order. I wrote chapter four first. Again, it was my favorite chapter to write. I probably rewrote it multiple times. Um, I wrote chapter five was an easy chapter. I wrote one. Two and three were hard because I was trying to figure out what goes in two, what goes in three. But chapter six, let me tell you, Texas. <laughs> Being here, I had scrapped my original chapter six <laughs> and had to write a whole new chapter six. Um, yeah, so I'm from the, as I mentioned, I'm from the East Coast. Um, I mostly have lived in blue states. Um, and even growing up in New Jersey, we did have a Republican governor, uh, Christy Todd Whitman. She was actually pretty reasonable, you know, as a governor. Um, EPA administrator, but she was a really, really reasonable governor um, outside of the whole, um, uh, 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 what do you call it, profiling, racial profiling of state troopers. That aside, but you know, that problem exists in a lot of different states. Um, but being here and like, I was like, I feel like I'm in the belly of the beast. And it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I'm giving you all this because, um, you know, it is very easy living on the outside to be like, oh, Florida go to Florida, Texas go to Florida too, and Texas go to Texas. Oh, that's just Texas. Um, but the thing I've realized being here, um, now, that I've, now that I've seen the other side and I've been here, I see that this is really just the test bit. Um, Florida and Texas are just the place where people come to test how far they push. And if it works, great, then we'll go do it elsewhere. Um, and so I have been bringing the alarm um, to the people in the advocacy community of we can't write off what's happening. Um, everyone needs, this is all, all hands on deck. Um, if you will. So chapter six, I completely rewrote the whole thing. Next slide. Um, and so I'm not gonna go through everything, but chapter six was really the call to action. And so with that is I put out a lot of different thoughts um, and then put out some ideas for reflection. And so initially, um, so some of this is rele relevant to engineering. So moving quicker, as I mentioned, people are dying every day. And the problem is um, transportation is slow, just on how the funding is. We do long range plans, so we're looking 20 years out. You know, we come to engage you, and then we're like, thank you for your engagement. We'll be back in 10 years to build, right? Meanwhile, people are dying today. Um, and again, a real kudos to the Biden administration, the bipartisan infrastructure law, giving funding to local areas so that they can move quicker. But even that's not enough. And so I give a little tips for the transportation industry. Um, directing a vision. 
um, which again is more relevant relevant to transportation. Um, but the real key things, uh, you know, the last four. Um, so enabling a bold vision. Um, I know that uh, many of the candidates came here to talk about their vision, but we really need to make sure that we are enabling them to enact that bold vision. Because what happens is, you know, they you know they say Mike uh, Mike Tyson says everyone has a plan until you get punched in the fight, <laughs> right? And so it is not enough to just elect our people, but to continue to enable them to do their job, to do great things, and, and keep showing up for them even as they're in the fight. Um, increasing diversity. Um, I know that there was one candidate that said that they would be the first person of color to ever hold their seat. I do think it is important to increase diversity, yeah. uh, even as the attacks come and this idea of meritocracy. And the reality is the smartest person isn't always the best person. Um, so there are some people who I know that are very book smart and don't ever need to lead anybody uh, but themselves. Um, lastly is um, practicing, it's supposed to be empathy, part of my typo. I have a child, I just blame everything on the child. <laughs> I was practicing empathy. Um, but it really is about practicing empathy. And what I go in in this is, it's making sure to put in the effort to decenter yourself. Um, and it can look like a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be something performative. It can be something as simple as I love reading. And so I am very intentional to seek out books where the main uh, character, the protagonist, is someone completely unlike me. And I've read books where the protagonist was a transgender woman. And it was a sci-fi. Um, I read books where you know the protagonist uh, maybe had a disability. And so what it does is it's a, it's a fiction book. But in that author, particularly when they represent, when they're writing from their representation, you get to see their thoughts, you get to hear their anxieties, um, so that you can just have a better understanding of people. Um, and then lastly is understanding the opposition. Um, I know that you all know your opposition very well. Um, but you know, really understanding the opposition and understanding uh, what is motivating them. Um, and I will say, just speaking as me and no one else, don't don't email my boss and get me fired. You know, but I will say, I mean, we are really up against something um, in this nation. Um, I think that in the Hamilton song, the nation's fighting for its very own soul. And that's how I feel right now, uh, the just constant attacks on people. Um, and particularly as someone who, again, identifies as Christian, um, I just don't see how hating someone plays into Christianity. Um, so just know your opposition, knows what, know what motivates them, um, and be prepared. And so lastly, so I had to add this slide in because um, I did an interview and so someone was like, oh, so if we practice empathy, that means that we need to like take a time to understand like how white supremacy, I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, and that's why I had to pull up this James Baldwin quote. Because like, I don't need to understand that. Because uh, if you don't, you because if we can't agree that I'm a human, then there's nothing for us to agree on. So, I just want to end with that. And so thank you so much for your time today. Last week, we were talking about issues, and I said rugged individualism is only for those who have, one, made it, however they made it, those who are privileged, or those who uh, were inherited their stuff. And, and, and I gave some other 
uh, options. And and when I did a short, I, I broke all of that down into 58 seconds. And I did the video for the shorts on YouTube. You know, that is one of the ways that we bring bring people into the subject that we're talking about. It's a way of, of bringing more people in to see the story. You kind of grab them by by that and come in. But what surprised me the most is some of the the messages that I got. Some of the messages is like, oh, shut up. Uh, you are you, you just want to live off of somebody or or shut up. You want to, you know, uh, do do. And, and by the way, the attacks came from all directions. But the attack that 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 most hurt, I don't want to say hurt because I, I, I'm not hurt by the attacks, but most surprised me was a guy who said, and I, I wish I had pulled it up here, but he said. Uh, he said something to the effect, go get a job. Uh, uh, you should, you know, you should, anybody who wants to make it can just lift themselves up by their bootstrap. And then he, he admonished me. He said, as a black man, I am telling you, I am ashamed. You as a black man is coming out here and telling our, I uh, just, in, in effect, keeping our community in the dire straits that it is with the with what I said, and I started to think. Uh, for somebody, a BIPOC, a black person, Latino, whatever, in the way society is right now, to attack me as as some you know this the stereotype he himself has on people who he says look like him because he says he's speaking to me, black men to black men is effect what he was saying, right? And I started to think, and I'm like, you know, a cancer is real. You know, earlier in other subjects, you've heard me talk about the Munchausen, not Munchausen syndrome, the Stockholm syndrome. Uh, I, I sat down and, and that one hit because I'm saying, let me, let me, let me see, am I coming across wrong or not? Because what he was saying, in effect, is I made it. Uh, you go get yours and stop telling folks that they can't, which is so far from the thing. First of all, my commentary was not racial at all. The commentary that I give applies to absolutely everybody. Absolutely everybody, right? But secondly, he was under the impression that somehow the what the black and other BIPOC communities are going through are self-inflicted. And it's easy to jump to that conclusion, lift yourself like the brother David who just called and talked about lifting oneself up by the bootstraps. Uh, it's easy for us to buy into the narrative that all these problems are self-made and it, it, it was easy for me early earlier in life working hard and i gave you guys a story about working hard other people working hard and seeing a beggar on the street though so, anyway so it all of this attacks from the right attacks from what i probably this was probably a black dude on the right as well you know who lift himself up by the 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 straps etc 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 and this is what I wanted to say, right? Rugged individualism is a farce. I need every single one of you who are listening to me right now, whether you're in your car driving to work, whether you're taking care of a kid, 
whether you, whatever it is that you are doing right now, I can tell you with a straight faced and honest, what I've learned, what I've taught myself is that all of us form a society and we all need each other, right? I used to believe in this rugged individualism thing. I formed several. What this guy didn't know about me was I wasn't speaking for myself. I formed several companies. I've worked for all the big shots here. I've done all these kinds of things, right? And this is not about self. This is really honest and not about self. But immediately he thinks because I'm talking about the aggregate, the folks in general, that somehow he reflects it on me based on the stereotype in America and other places that made about people who look like me or people who are otherwise, um, you know, on, you know, uh, uh, some my brother, my white brothers and sisters in Appalachia who nobody gives a hoot about, right? My Latino brothers are, and the whole issue about individualism is that that is what it creates, right? It creates the false belief that somehow if you do things right, it is an absolute or near certainty that things are going to work out for you financially and otherwise. And if you don't follow those rules somehow, it won't. But worse, it goes under the impression that we all have equal access to success, right? And the whole issue that I'm trying to put across with rug, that rugged individualism doesn't exist is based as well on a chapter that I wrote in one of my books called we never, ever lived in a meritocracy. In other words, we never lived in a society that says if you work hard enough or you work hard as hard as you can on a particular craft that you are going to somehow succeed on that craft. It's never, it has never been true. It, we have the semblance of truth. I'll give you the, the church example. You know, Beyonce is probably a billionaire by now with the, the music that she makes. And Beyonce can sing, Beyonce can dance, Beyonce can do all these wonderful things that entertain people. But, you know, my wife goes to a church that have a great choir, a great band, and there are orders of magnitude of women in her church that sings just as well as Beyonce, some better than Beyonce, some worse, some, a lot of them much better, better tonality, better hold their notes better. For anybody who knows music, they know that in, in as much as Aretha was a great singer, Aretha never held on a particular note. In as much as, uh, as Beyonce is a, gr is a great singer, as a popular singer, if you were to put a, 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 a meter on her voice, she, didn't she doesn't have the perfect uh, holding of the tones, etc. So that is not what makes it that she is a star. Somebody decided of all these people who can sing as good, a little bit less good, a little bit more good than Beyonce, Beyonce is the one that we picked. Same thing goes with lawyers. Every year, thousands of people come out of, 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 of uh, law school and, and a large percentage of them are on the streets. When I say on the streets, are, 
are doing menial work as lawyers. And I can talk about engineers, a lot of engineers that I knew. I, I, I worked for NASA, uh, PR. I, I worked for a lot of companies in the five years before I formed my own company, right? And I used to have a chip on my shoulder thinking, ah, I'm so good at what I do. BS. There was a bunch of other people that could do it. There was some reason I was chosen, and it wasn't some special reason. You know, there's a good possibility, and I gave you guys a story that in one particular company, even though I was qualified, I know that affirmative action had a, 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 a reason that I was chosen for that job. I'm, what I'm trying to get across, folks, is this rugged individualism that tells us that if you are an individual, you can attain whatever is crap. Okay? You have to be chosen the way our system works. It's not about handouts. It's not about that. And when you look at a particular group of people or a class of people that somehow seem to be on, on, uh, over underprivileged and you see the people that society wants to criminalize or says, you see how those people behave. I don't look at how things are. I look at how things got there. We'd, we'd spend exactly, a exactly, exactly. I love this, uh, this thing that um, I'm sorry that Rodnan had to go because uh, this, it, he showed the difference between equality equity and removing barriers. He had another one, but I prefer this one. Uh, 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 creating equity cre has some faults. You know, it, it still leaves certain systemic things in place, but, but actually removing the barriers is what it's all about. I love that graphic that Beyonce, that, uh, that Rodney sent us here. Now, when it comes to Yvette, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to disparage my good friend, Beyonce. I was just trying to make a note that I know so many people who sing so much better, but they will never make it. There are a lot of incidentals that go into, into where people are. And this stuff about rugged individualism is what makes you move forward. It's, it's a lot more to it than that. That's all. It wasn't to, it wasn't to disparage your cousin. Okay. It wasn't to disparage your cousin, my dear Yvette. You know I don't mean that. Bruce Pollard says, not just chosen, but lucky. Both of them, Bruce, I agree. Uh, let's see what Eric says. You can't assume you have to be a victim as you are already defeated then. I don't ever believe I'm a victim. Ever, 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 ever. It said chance favors the prepared mind. Uh, actually, uh, you know what I would like to see, uh, Lee Grant, is a scientific study whether that is true or not, because I would, in the past, I believed what you just said, Grant. But when I see now some of the people who've had success, let's, let's, let's make Eric's day. Uh, Biden's son had nothing to do with uh, luck in the proper sense of luck. It just happened to do with who his daddy was, that he could somehow get $25 million or however many millions it was that was uh, that was catered on to him, right? So, um, you know, I don't think there's a much disagreement here when we look at things as far as whether they are, uh, you know, whether it's a meritocracy, rugged individualism. It, we have to get away from how they use us. They use those tech, those those things to to mold our minds into becoming slaves of the capitalist structure. That is that is the reason I bring this up a whole lot. Anyway, folks, we got to get out of here. 
But I want to ask all of you who can to please subscribe to our newsletter. It is at politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter, politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter. Please support what we do here. That is how we get stuff done. Bruce says, I think in many cases you can optimize being chosen, but sometimes things limit it. Very true. Uh, Robert Davenport says, being a victim has nothing to do with being defeated. Exactly right. And, and again, I don't believe in victim mentality. In fact, I was just talking to a friend in Chicago where I told her, I know exactly what I want and exactly where I want to go. Right. And I keep I'm focused on those particular issues. Right. I mean, there are a lot of obstacles to get there. I'm not a victim because of a lot of those obstacles. But, you know, we, we have to work on these things together, brothers and sisters. we got to work on these things together. Now, again, I want to ask all of you that are listening, please subscribe to my newsletter. That is That helped move us along, politicsunright.com slash newsletter. Again, one more time, politicsunright.com slash newsletter. And by the way, if Daniel Ledo is still in the house, look, man, you, you touched me. Thank you very much for the offer. Uh, that uh, if a, I'm glad I don't have to, uh, to do it right now. If I did need it, though, I would love to have uh, taken you up on that as well. I'd like to thank uh, uh, Brother uh, brother uh, John Cutter for sort of tickling me and remember reminding me that I had a commitment because the speech that, that Nicole, uh, I forgot her name now, that she gave, uh, there was a lot deep inside of that. Anyway, I got to get out of here. Uh, why are we afraid of the concept uh, of the word or concept victim? Not afraid of victim, but uh, afraid of, but but don't like how some people have changed the meaning of the word. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.